Nobody puts baby in a corner. You talking to me? You talking to me? To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> this is God. I told you I was hot tonight. Uh, excuse me, miss. Do you think it might be possible to turn that music down so maybe a couple of the boys could talk? Your hand is staining my window. You just put the law in my hands, and I'm going to break your heart with it. What kind of beer? Now that I've met you, would you object to never seeing me again? What? Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Movies for Life. I am one of your co-hosts, Michelle Egan. And I am your other co-host, Brian Kuyper. I like that. We're co-hosts. We're co-hosts, aren't we? Yeah. It's so cute. So I am super, super stoked for this episode, Brian. Me too. We both are. But something we wanted to say first off, we kind of started recording these episodes a bit ahead of time before we uh, released them. This is our first time recording since the show has actually come out for people to listen to. And so we've gotten some feedback and it's... It's been awesome. It's been really <laughs> been so encouraging nice. and nice, yeah. Yeah, we had uh, the first five episodes recorded, which is why we're not saying anything till now, but we wanted to say uh, thank you so, so much to everybody that has listened and given us nice words, because, it, yeah, it's been really encouraging to, uh, to keep going, because we're having fun with this, and we want to keep doing it. We are, and, you know, the rate and review thing uh, really does make a difference. It gets gives more visibility to the show, uh, so more people can hear it, and hopefully enjoy it as much as those who have told us they have so far already are so yeah. we, we usually would save that for the end of the show but hey we're talking about it now so why not all right so yes this is an amazing pairing of movies that we have for you guys today um usually like we don't like our movies don't actually have to go together as a pair but this is our first one that's like a perfect double feature it really is uh, this was this was so much fun to hit. I mean, they both have a couple of sort of weird commonalities. Uh, mm -hmm. Do we want to mention what they are? Or do we want to keep you in suspense as to guessing <laughs> what they are? It's in the show description. I right? know. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about, well, my choice is Shadow of the Vampire from 2000. Wait, what's the, wait, what's the topic? Oh, edit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our topic is, uh, we've been talking about movies about movies, and we're probably going to come back to this uh, every once in a while, uh, but the first one we wanted to hit was the a movie about the making of a real movie. So my choice for this was from 2000, kind of 2001-ish. It's technically 2000, but it didn't come out until 2001. Uh, that is E. Elias Marriage's Shadow of the Vampire. And my pick is most definitely probably Tim Burton's best movie, 1994's Ed Wood. Yeah, and so this was such a great pairing because, first of all, they're both kind of hilarious. They are. More than kind of. <laughs> they're so much they're fun to They're really, really funny movies. And it's funny because my first, I don't know how many viewings of shadow of the vampire i didn't realize how funny it really is 
but it's hysterical. Mm-hmm. It is fall on the floor funny. I had only seen this once before, like many, many years ago. I rented it from Netflix. And yeah, in preparation for this, I watched it like three times <laughs> just to kind of remind myself and just to laugh at it because I, I loved it so much. And I watched Edward probably five times. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the the main connective tissue is we have actors who played vampires, who played very famous vampires, (laughs) very famous versions of Dracula. So Shadow of the Vampires is about the making of F.W. Murnau's film, real film, uh, Nosferatu from 1922, a silent film, which is an amazing film (laughs) that I recommend watching. I haven't seen it. I know, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, and then Ed Wood has... Bella Lugosi is one of the main people, played by Martin Landau, um, who played, obviously, played Dracula, 1931. Yep. So um, that's a cool pairing. And then another thing they have in common is that they have, like, kind of crazy directors that we can talk about and compare and contrast. So in my case, the director is F.W. Murnau, uh, and the vampire is, uh, I should say, F.W. Murnau, played by John Malkovich. And then... um, the Vampire is uh, Max Schreck, played by Willem Dafoe, in one of the funniest performances I've ever seen. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and he's been pretty funny in other movies, but this is this is hysterically funny. Um, he and then, freaking kills it. Yeah, and Martin Landau in Ed Wood as Bela Lugosi. I, I think I said to you when you were tweeting about it, it's like, I don't know if Bela Lugosi could have played this role as well as Martin Landau does in right? Ed Wood. <laughs> Then, of course, the character of Ed Wood is is certainly going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Played by Johnny yeah. Depp in... You know, what sort of boggled my mind was I realized this was only the second collaboration between Tim Burton and Johnny Depp after Edward Scissorhands. This was Edward Scissorhands and then this and then Ed Wood. So he played a couple of Eds. They just yeah. are those constant collaborators collaborators now so it's uh it, it was funny to i love that though that. yeah i love when a uh, director and actor kind of like find each other and they work together a bunch because god they just they kill it every time they they do he's great they do okay so we're gonna start with diving into shadow of the vampire first what were you, so you hadn't seen this in a while what were some of your sort of initial thoughts about this movie what i remembered the most about this was willem dafoe <laughs> all of his little i haven't seen uh, nosferatu but you know you see the pictures and you see like little clips of it over the years like being a horror fan and uh, so i knew like what max Streck looked like and his little mannerisms and god it just i remembered that so well the way he would like click his nails or like wrinkle up his nose and hold his hands in that weird way, you know, <laughs> that Shrek would do. He was just so memorable. And then uh, I had totally forgotten Carrie Elwes was in this movie. <laughs> and probably just... one of one of the funniest roles in the movie too. Because there there are three like real sort of outlandish, yeah. hilarious performances and uh, Carrie Elwes is certainly one of those. The others being, of course, Willem Dafoe and uh, then Eddie Izzard as uh, yeah. as uh, <laughs> Gustav. But yeah, like you, I remember it. I kind of remembered it being a little bit darker, I think, when I first saw it. And then the second rewatch, I was like, no, this is actually hilarious. Yeah. Except for when it comes to the end. Yeah, the ending gets... Then it gets a little dark. It's really dark at the end. Really dark at the end, yeah. It's like, it's like not so overtly funny, 
but it's, it's just really subtle just in their just the lines and the delivery it's hilarious yeah some of the things that a lot of my notes were just like writing down the lines from the movie <laughs> that i liked <laughs> there's so many so many memorable lines and then deliveries of lines yeah so one of the things that i always realized about i that's kind of interesting about this movie for the time that it came out is it has this really long opening credits sequence. Yes. I mean, it's I, I, I haven't timed it, but it's lengthy. And it shows all these images. I mean, first of all, like the first image, frankly, is kind of it's kind of vaginal looking. <laughs> it's like you're it's like you're being taken yeah. into yeah, it's like this through the birth canal. It's really weird. <laughs> I, and then there's all these images of like war and yeah. people fighting, and and it's it's like all these different themes because basically the themes, some of the themes of the movie are sex and violence, <laughs> but there's mm-hmm. also one of the big themes that I took away on my most recent viewings of this is that this is almost thought of as a kind of war movie. Really? They're always talking about how making this movie is like going to war. Yes, okay. Yeah. You know, it's the camera is a, is a weapon. One of my favorite sections of dialogue from the movie, it's actually a monologue from John Malkovich's Murnau. As they're, um, okay, so let me back up just a tiny bit to set the stage for this. So they've just filmed an, an on-set shot at the very opening of the film at where we meet the character of Greta, Greta Schroeder, who was the lead actress in the film. They shoot this one little scene and we're introduced to all of the filmmakers who are all wearing lab coats and glasses. It's sort of a, I, th- I think of this movie more as a mad scientist movie than a vampire movie in a lot of ways. Then after this, they get on the train and maybe we can even drop this clip in if we can find it where he just gives this philosophy of filmmaking it's like our struggle our battle is to create art our weapon is the moving picture and then he wraps it up by saying we are scientists uh I, i think i wrote this one down we are scientists engaged in the creation of memory that will neither blur nor fade. And it's a it's a really memorable moment in the in that movie as they're on the train and they're traveling to their location. I really like that scene and then he sort of goes on to completely undermine everything he says in that speech throughout the course of the rest of the film. Our battle, our struggle is to create art. Our weapon is the moving picture. Because we have the moving picture, our paintings will grow and recede. Our poetry will be shadows that lengthen and conceal. Our light will play across living faces that laugh and agonize. And our music will linger and finally overwhelm because it will have a context as certain as the grave. We are scientists engaged in the creation of memory. But our memory will neither blur nor fade. He wants to film the reality that he's found in this mech truck guy. Yeah, but there's also this sense of he can 
manipulate all this memory. He has total control over what is put into the frame, right? And he's manipulating all the people that work with him. Yeah, so he's creating a memory, but he's creating a false memory, in a sense. Yeah. So they head out on the train, they get to their locations, and um, we kind of see them... Some I love sort of the process of shooting the movie that happens. You know, the silent film kind of things they can do. Because they can talk. Yeah. yeah, they can, like, guide him. The way he guides him, the actors, through the scenes is really interesting to watch. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he's, like, so, like, grandiose and so, like, all about the art. Mm-hmm. It can be, like, a little annoying in a way, <laughs> like, hearing somebody talk like that. Because it's like, oh, man, it's just movies. But, you know. But he's so, like, engaged and, like, so passionate about it that you're like, yeah, man, you're creating this thing. And, of course, he did. I mean, Nosferatu is, like... The fact that a movie almost... is 100 years old and, and we still yeah. still discuss it, you know, in, in horror circles. Oh, not just horror, but, you know, in just filmmaking, filmmaking in yeah. general as one of the key moments of film. It's, it's pretty astonishing. And the fact that the movie even exists is pretty astonishing because, you know, like... To be able to see now, yeah. Yeah, like they said at the beginning of of this movie, they said, you know, he wasn't able to get the rights from Bram Stoker's widow for Dracula. And when she found out that they had made it anyway and it was obviously a Dracula rip, she ordered that legally he had to burn every copy of the film. So the fact that this movie exists anywhere... In any form, and it's pretty complete, is astonishing, considering that so many movies from that period are just gone entirely. As I was watching this, one of the things that I thought of with that particular... Some things that Murnau does, he's sort of this philosophical kind of director, too. And so, (laughs) I love Malkovich in the film. I think he's fantastic. But during certain sections of the movie, I hear Werner Herzog's voice like delivering some of the lines and i think ooh, that would be interesting to just have to have, to have had werner herzog to play fw murnau who he idolizes and he also went on to you know remake nosferatu in his own pretty brilliant version of that movie he couldn't be as funny as malkovich no he couldn't be as funny as malkovich though he would no. he would bring his own type of humor i think but it would be much more deadpan, I think. Yeah. So this movie in general is just such a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the, the, what was it, like the rumors or something around Max Shrek about how, you know, there wasn't any pictures of him for a long time. Like, people didn't really know if he actually existed, if he could have been maybe a real vampire. And then for them to actually make a movie about that to where Max Shrek was actually a vampire and Murnau has like made this deal with him to make the movie and manipulated all of his his co-workers into uh to getting it done that's just that's such a fun idea it, it for is. a movie for a horror movie and it's a very f- it's brilliant it's a, it's a, it's sort of a cool riff on the Faust idea the whole Faust legend of se- selling your soul to the devil mm-hmm. for yeah. for immortality and knowledge you know but uh, in this case though the the devil if you will gets something out of the bargain in that you know he is promised <laughs> yeah. uh, to be taken care of in different ways <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll hit that <laughs> when we get to the ending so okay one of the things that makes me laugh so much in this movie is Eddie Izzard as Gustav um, he's so good. He's 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 great when he's actually being Gustav, 
but then when he's acting, when he's playing Hutter, he's so bad, and his bad acting is so hilarious, and I just adore <laughs> his performance in this movie. And then you hear Udo Kira just be like, genius, Hutter, genius. Genius. <laughs> and you're so, like, really? <laughs> and it's, it's like where he's, where he's stretching out, and he's really, and he's opening, he's looking at the books, and he's, and he's got this expression on his face that's so corny, and then, and then what, I I love the part where one of the townspeople just wanders into the room, and says, I must stop this, because, and he says, Albert, a native has wandered into my frame, and, um, (laughs) And Gustav is just kind of like, he's still kind of half in character and half out. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, am I supposed to keep going? (laughs) No, dude. (laughs) Oh, and then... um, then... He's great. He has a great... He was a good choice for this role, too, because he has just such a great, like, expressive face that really goes with, like, the silent movie thing that they were going for with the actors of the the time. He was... Kind of perfect for that. Yeah, that grandiose style of acting. Yes. And and if you watch the original Nosferatu, he's uh, he's doing a pretty good uh, imitation there <laughs> of of the real uh, Gustav. I can't remember uh, the last name off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But from there, we actually we have our first appearance of Max Shrek. They set it up where he actually the first time the crew or anybody sees him is when he comes out of his castle because they're told that he's um a very method stanislavski actor who's only going to appear in character in makeup and they're only going to film at night yes Ooh, what else could that mean though (laughs) and the thing is that's one of the brilliant things about this movie is right up until the last sequence he could be just he could be crazy mm-hmm. he could be a really really dedicated actor or he yep. could actually be a vampire it, it's it could be any of them and that's one of the things i love about that setup because we've all you know heard about method actors that are right. just nuts i mean even ones that are that are just so really dedicated you think of uh, oh man i'm terrible i'm terrible because i can't remember his name the dude who played lincoln and uh you know who I'm talking about. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis, for goodness sake, Kuiper. Okay, so, <laughs> so Daniel Day-Lewis being his character from There Will Be Blood and his wife not wanting to be around him, you know, <laughs> what, what during that time, that sort of thing. It's You hear those kinds of stories, but, I mean, that's, that's even, this is even more extreme than something like yeah. that. I love, and at one point, something goes wrong on the set. The arc lights kind of go off, and Shrek attacks Wolf, the photographer, and mm. says, He's a Stanislavski lunatic! Tick. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great moment. He's seeing him, like, actually attacking this guy, and he still thinks he's just in character. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, and you don't really know, Wolf could actually just be sick through the whole movie. Instead of Shrek, like, slowly draining him every night like Dracula actually would. Right. So, yeah, they do a really... I didn't know... I don't think I noticed that the first time I watched the movie because I knew that he was actually a vampire. But, yeah, it totally reads like that when you when you watch it now. Yeah, definitely. And they're just... One of the things about this is, is they give the funniest lines. I mean, they're just constantly... This movie is just constantly 
I, I wrote down so many lines that are just so funny. I mean, the part where they're filming the scene where he's at with the dinner and he's looking over his papers and stuff like that. And he picks up the picture of Greta. She has a beautiful bosom. <laughs> and then uh, they, they cut it. They go, and, and Murnau says, all right, that was good. Let's give the lip readers a thrill. <laughs> or when he, he improvs the scene later on, it's like, I hear we're going to be neighbors. And he does that little, like, he does gesture. That, that gesture that sort of, it's almost a dance gesture. Like, hey. <laughs> He's so good. I would like some makeup. It's like, you don't get any. (laughs) Yeah. There's the the, the hissing and and the... uh, He, like, hisses, wrinkles his nose at him. Oh, God. It's it's such a physical performance from Defoe. And it's it's funny, uh, both physically and in his delivery. It's... I mean, the facial expressions. He's another one of those actors with just, like, an amazing face. There's like, um, there's this one shot where he, um, toward the end, I think, when he's, oh, when he's uh, setting the chair out for Greta for their, their last scene for his kill shot, and there's like a, um, just a close up of his face, and he's like, he's got his eyes are wide as he's smiling, and you're just like, dude, yeah. <laughs> like, how do you do that? And the thing <laughs> is, it's, look, it's, he looks amazing. It's such a chameleon performance because unless you know it's Willem Dafoe. You don't think about it being Willem Dafoe because he doesn't—he do, it doesn't look like him, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously he's under amazing ma- makeup. Yeah, from Rick Baker, Oscar nominated. I didn't realize it was Rick Baker. Oh my goodness, how did I miss mm-hmm. that? Or was it? So because it's just no. I'm sorry, that was for Edward. That's for Edward. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's see who it was. It's it's really this this was Oscar nominated makeup. Not named Best supporting I, actor. I, I recognize for Willem Dafoe. <laughs> my okay, I got a, my favorite line in the movie by far is Willem Dafoe. How do you have a favorite one? Huh? <laughs> How do you have a favorite one? There's so many. I know. Well, this <laughs> this is my favorite one because it's one that I didn't notice until I watched it recently. The the scene where um, Alban Grau, played by Udo Kier, you know, and that's another kind of funny connection is. Udo Kier also played Dracula. Also played Dracula. Yeah, in in the uh, Andy Warhol, Dan Curtis film, right? Blood for for Dracula. So they're having this conversation in front of the set boat. Uh, it's it's him and it's Henrik, and they are trying to find out more about this guy and and ask him. And he's the the, the line that he says is like. I, I'm gonna do a bad imitation. So, so uh, let's hear it. Okay, so here we go. In my old age, I feed the way old men pee. <laughs> sometimes all at once, sometimes drop by drop. <laughs> and it is the delivery is so, it is as deadpan as you can possibly get, and it's. It's, it's just authentic and, and bizarre. I mean, how... And I, I hear a line like that, I think, how many takes did it take to get that in without breaking up? Because that is that is so funny. That is so funny. I, mean, I put that one down to it. I was looking at that as my, probably my favorite line. 
and, it's a good metaphor too. I mean, it, it is. I mean, you can't. You, I can't deny that. Oh wow, it's just so it's good writing. It's great writing. Yeah, it's, that whole scene. Yeah, with um, Heinrich and Alvin. Alvin. <laughs> and they're just drunk and they're just asking him about being a vampire, still thinking he's an actor, like getting into the role. Uh, so, so good. That whole scene. I think Udo Kier is so, so much funnier than I ever give him credit for sometimes. But when I see him do something like this, I was like, oh, that's right. He is freaking hilarious when he wants to be. He really is. And that, I think, has become my favorite scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just this... <laughs> It's, it's weird and everybody's kind of drunk in their own way and you know <laughs> and then when Shrek you know he just suddenly there's a bat flying overhead and he grabs it out of <laughs> yeah. the air he and he starts like drinking its blood just right in front of these guys and and they're like they're looking at him like he's so dedicated he's, really, he's, he's really dedicated what an amazing actor. <laughs> actor and it's like he's, he's what does he say uh, Shrek the German theater needs you. <laughs> and uh, then he walks away. Heads up, and he t- has this whole, he gives this whole speech about how Dracula, the book Dracula made him sad because Dracula didn't have servants. And it's strange and funny and everything about it is so perfectly acted and timed and edited. Everything is so great. And um, as he's walking but away, but it's also it's also kind of sad for him as a character because he's is. actually you know he's talking about himself and like he's been a vampire for so long and you know he doesn't remember how to do certain things that humans do all the time yeah. and yeah he doesn't remember how you to kinda, you kind of feel for him for like two seconds in that movie in that scene right right I mean he's he's like you know can't you make more vampires and he says. I can't. I'm too old. Yeah, he's too old. Yeah. He can't make more vampires. And, and, he, and he can't remember. How, you know, how do you remember how to buy bread? And how do you remember how to pick out cheese and wine? And, you know, just yeah. little uh, human, what's the word? Just like human indulgences that he can't do anymore. Exactly. And then, you know, as he was walking away, what an actor. Such dedication. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Okay, so uh, Wolf, the original cinematographer, gets taken away. And there's a great scene there between, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but who cares, between Mur- who cares? Murnau and, and Shrek. Was like, How dare you ruin my photographer? Oh, that's, that's probably my favorite scene, yeah. the way he's just yelling at him and Shrek is just like, did I hurt your people? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why not the script girl? It's like, oh, I'll eat her later. Yeah. yeah, Malkovich is just going crazy. Then I will replace you with a double. Yeah. <laughs> he has a little in- upward inflection on double. Uh, I yeah. love that. And there, That's such a perfect delivery. And there comes the, the moment in there where it says, this is my picture. And, and he says, it's hardly your picture any longer. Because... He really is in control of it all now. And there's simply no room for more than one director on this set, you know. And and the one who's really running the show is is Shrek by that point. Yeah, does he really think, did um, Murnau really think that he was going to allow him to just follow, if he was going to actually follow the rules, if he was just going to get Greta at the end, which was his promise for for doing the movie? (laughs) Like... 
He's a vampire. He's evil. You're up against evil. Did you not realize that? Right. How dare you? How dare you destroy my photographer? You idiot! Did I kill some of your people, Mono? I can't remember. We have an arrangement. Don't pretend you mourn here, Doctor. I know you. Why him, you monster? Why not the script girl? <laughs> the script girl. I'll eat her later. No, you will not. Our bargain. You agreed not to hurt my people. Listen to me. Do you understand? This requires that I go back to Berlin to find another photographer and then to fly him back here. And you, you will control yourself while I am away. I don't think we need the writer any longer. I don't expect you to understand this, and I am loath to admit it myself, but the writer is necessary. All my crew is necessary. Do you understand? After that scene, we, we is where we find out where we get our new cinematographer, which is, his name is Fritz Arno Wagner, played by Kerry Elways, in one oh of the God. funniest roles I've ever seen him do. And he's pretty funny. He's been in some funny stuff roles before He's hilarious yes. i mean saw I, i'm kidding <laughs> i'm joking but yeah he's uh he's no legit my favorite um mel brooks movie is robin hood men in robin tights. hood men in tights he's he's great in that you know he's hilarious yeah so he, i i totally knew he could do comedy yeah he's he's and very right you know he's funny yeah and you know, get some ah herr doctor welcome this is oh i'm not a doctor but i have dabbled in pharmaceuticals um <laughs> It's like, and he says, all right, and he goes straight to the camera. It's like he's ready to start shooting. Second he, he steps out of, Literally, out of the airplane. Literally, he starts shooting. Yeah, that's right. He shoots, shoots, he shoots his gun in the air to scare the extras, and he starts yeah. he starts filming him. And before that, I mean, again, you have the idea of the weapon, the camera being used as a weapon because he asks, what lens is on the camera? Oh, 35 millimeter. Ah, uh, not my weapon of choice. Is it loaded? <laughs> And they said, yep. Yeah. And he says, good, so am I. Let's shoot this. <laughs> you know? And so they, uh, so there's, there's so much of this movie is about sex, drugs, and war. Drugs. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, very, it's very interesting how it's just like this, this war-like mentality all through the movie. And they're all drunk or high <laughs> most of the movie. Um, or sedated. One of, one of yeah. the three. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, but the way Carrie Ellis speaks in the movie just kills me. <laughs> he's got he's got the German accent going, and it's um, it's really good one too. But it's, it's so odd. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but it's it's weird, it's, but it's so fun to listen to. It really in a strange is. way. Yeah, it's just like what are you doing, man? I don't know what it is, but I love it. Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. So. Um, they continue shooting with the new photographer, um, and one of the things that's interesting is they do a lot of recreations of some of the famous shots of the movie, but they intercut them with footage from the actual Nosferatu, 
you know, you can kind of tell because that film is more degraded than this one. But every time they're shooting something, it's in black and white. There's this nice sort of mix of of those things. So what the camera sees is in black and white. And then what human eye sees is in color. Just some kind of cool touches that give the film a lot of style. And it's really well shot. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks so good. It's, it's a shame that Marriage hasn't been able to really do more movies i know he's he's only done three he did begotten uh he did this and uh suspects is it suspect zero is that the name of the movie yes yeah i haven't seen that one but he got apparently after doing that he got extremely ill wasn't able to uh he just had to quit um i know he's been trying to apparently do some uh like crowdfunding sorts of things to make another film but i don't know how that's going uh, especially in with the pandemic and all those sorts of things, that's oh, sure. that's had to have put the brakes on that too, as it has for so many. But for someone who's been away from from making movies uh, for uh, almost almost twenty, 20 years. years, yeah, it's it's sad. But you know, hey, Richard Stanley, you know, he had his yeah. his come big comeback. And so it can, it can happen, and I would love to see that. And hey, that's yeah, you can you can tell from this just what a talent he had. Yeah. Like he should have been making so much more, like horror movies especially. I think he had a really nice knack for composition and keeping the suspense, and making it dark, and but still, like he was really good of uh, balancing the dark with the humor. Like, yeah, he could have done so much more. That's kind of a shame. Yeah, it really is. It really is because I. <laughs> And I haven't, I've, like I said, I've. This is the only one of the three movies I've seen. Begotten is unfortunately kind of really hard to find. I saw it years ago. Yeah, and it's or not parts of it. I don't know if I've seen the whole thing. As I understand, it's not available in a very good. It, yeah. it doesn't look particularly good. I know he tried to get a Blu-ray release going of it, but uh, I'm not sure if that fell through or, or what happened. Uh, but unfortunately, there, I'm getting some of this information because um, the Justin Beam Radio Hour did an interview with him. This was quite a while. I think it was a, actually his first episode, so I'm not sure if it's available or not anymore. But it was a really terrific interview just to hear what he had to say about Begotten and Shadow. Those were really the ones he focused on and what he was hoping to do from there. But yeah, it's one of those... One of those things, though. So anyway, back to the movie. We're introduced uh, once again, sort of reintroduced to Greta Schroeder, uh, played by Catherine McCormick. And she's an interesting character in this movie. She's sort of, she's the only starring female role. There are mm-hmm. a couple of, of women on the yeah. set um, and extras. The makeup girl, the, the, script, the script The girl. script girl and the makeup girl, and then <laughs> some of the townspeople. Um, yeah. But that, that's that's it. So Greta is sort of the ingenue, the star of this movie. And I mean, of Nosferatu, not of Shadow yes. of the Vampire. <laughs> she has a, I mean, it's, it's an interesting role that she plays in this movie. She's sort of, all the men in this movie kind of want her. <laughs> but kind of hate her at the same time. They're such dicks. I'm they sorry. really yeah. are. They are. I know. And it's and they're always the way they talk about her is is pretty gross. Yeah, Albin and uh Heinrich have that line like I was the greatest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. Like I saw Greta Schroeder naked one time. Like, oh my god. Yeah. 
Are you 12? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and and so there's it's sort of that it's just weird in this movie, but um I think that Catherine McCormick really does play the role well. This mm-hmm. diva who, you know, and she even sees the camera is kind of a vampire, you know, on the stage, you know, gives me life. This thing takes it from me. I love that. That was kind of one of my favorite lines, too, because yeah. that's that old, like, superstition about cameras taking yeah. your soul. Yeah. And which is kind of what happens to her in this movie. Exactly. Right? And, you know, for the, the she loses her life so someone else can make a movie. And the line what is that about the line is, you know, it's like consider it a sacrifice for your art. Mm-hmm. This is going to make you immortal as an actor. Yeah, because first of all, you'll be dead. And second of all, the film is going to exist forever. I mean, obviously Greta Schroeder. He's, yeah. The, the real world and, 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 the, and, and the world of Shadow of the Vampire diverge quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> all the people that die in this movie actually went on to live very long lives <laughs> except for and then the person who then the person who lived Murnau, uh in fact uh, died quite young he, like 10 years later he, I think it was in 1931 i think 1931 uh, in a car wreck um he was about to make his first sound picture as i understand and wow. he would have been he would have been one of the greats i'm sure i mean his he made most of his films in germany but he made Sunrise, which is the first, which he made in Hollywood. And Sunrise, um, along with Wings, won the first Academy Awards for Best Picture. It was sort of like the category was split into Best Movie, you know, which was Wings, and then Best, um, like, Artistic Film, which was was Sunrise. And Sunrise is, is a beautiful and brilliant movie, and Murnau made a lot of incredible films um maybe that should be my recommend is to watch murnau movies i i've I've, i had something in mind but uh we'll see when we get there but yeah the one thing i actually read about him on wikipedia though um under the shadow of the vampire um entry malkovich you know portrays him as this crazed dictator on set And, like, the one sentence they had um, was that Murnau was actually known as a director with rare sensitivity. I thought that was a really nice way of putting it. So, like, obviously, like, Malkovich, this is not how he really was in real life. Don't. It's fictionalized. This is, you don't. You definitely don't go to this movie for a historical account. No. It's not that in the slightest bit. It's uh, it's telling a different story than that. I think it would be lovely to see a, a real biopic yeah. of of uh, F. W. Murnau because his importance to the genre. He was an openly gay man in a time when that was just. Oh, he was. Yeah, in a time that oh, I believe wow. it was openly. I know he was he was gay, but in a time when that was not. I mean, him and James Whale both. I mean, it's yeah. sort of this you know, the creators, really, of what we know of horror is infused with this queer perspective. And that's that's really an amazing thing and a wonderful thing. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, there's a book. I love him even more now. Yeah, there's a there's a <laughs> book I, I got. I, I unfortunately can't remember the title. Uh, that's that's a fictionalized account of, of Murnau's life that is an interesting book. It pops up on Kindle for, you know, 
inexpensively every now and then. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out on that, and maybe I can drop cool. in the title on, a, on another episode. So anyway, uh, when we come back to the film, oh, the last two big sequences of the film are where things get dark. Yeah. They, they really stop being funny, and they start getting dark because they've gone to where they're filming the island where they're filming the final sequences and Friedrich they find Friedrich is F.W. Murnau they find him sedated essentially on laudanum which was his drug of choice apparently in this movie I don't know if that was really the case and he confesses to Albin and Fritz that there is no Max Schreck that he found him living in an old monastery he says why he is like, I made a deal. I told him I would give him Greta if he made this movie. And they're like, why did you do it? And, and this is this is an again, we come back to the mad scientist idea. Uh, yeah. I did it for science to preserve it for posterity, which like, OK, but yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Not a good yes, enough reason. A real though. vampire. <laughs> no, yeah, not a good enough reason to kill somebody. <laughs> well, as it turns out, more than one uh, as well. Uh, this final sequence is bonkers in a lot of ways. First of all, it is pretty funny. There's a lot of funny stuff in this last there sequence. Is. Yeah. Because um, cause Shrek, this is the first time he actually meets Greta or is in the same room with her. Yeah. And, and he's <laughs> they show him like, sitting up a chair and he's all... He's a giddy in the scene. It's yeah. so funny. And, and, he, and he wanders over and, and she starts screaming because... He doesn't cast a reflection, and that's our first clue. That clue, not our first clue, but our first like concrete like, oh crap, evidence, really evidence that he really is a vampire. Uh, they sedate her. He uh, drinks her blood and kind of gets stoned, <laughs> and, yeah. and they show they show like, they show everyone <laughs> sitting around song. waiting for him because he's like <laughs> snoring. He's snoring with his <laughs> eyes open. open, and they're just like all sitting there in the background, kind of like. All right. Oh, that just be out yet? That that just cracked me up so much. That <laughs> that that part is so sort of bizarre section. It's sort of this creepy, yeah. dark section of the movie. Okay, but what what do you think their actual plan was? Because when I I first started watching that scene, like the it's a bedroom scene where Shrek was gonna feed on Greta, and then she was supposed to kill him, and that would be like his death scene. Yeah. The movie and they're but they know that Shrek is really gonna kill her, yeah. so they go. So Albin and Fritz kind of go along with it, but I wonder, like, well, their plan is did they did did they have a plan to stop him? They had a plan to stop him before he could kill her. Their plan was to, but it wasn't very good to be honest. Their their plan was to because it's it's filmed in sort of this underground sort of darkened area yeah. with these huge heavy doors. That need to be there that are lifted by chain um, and yeah. weight, and so before he uh, was actually going to kill her, they were actually going to open the doors, let the sunlight in, and 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 kill him, literally kill yeah. him, on screen for the death scene. But Shrek, the night before, he, the yeah. he saw that he saw how the doors opened and he cut the chain. So I'm just saying it wasn't a very good plan. It was not very thorough. They didn't plan for 
bad things to happen contingencies here. Well, You're dealing with a vampire, you gotta yeah. have better plan than that. Yeah, but I mean, why don't you just kill? Why don't you just say fuck the movie and kill him because he's a vampire? No, they can't do. They that. They can't do that because they have money sunk into this movie. <laughs> you know <So> what? <laughs> Is that? I know it's terrible, I know. but it's true. You know, that's part of it. They, they, how much energy and money and whatever else they've poured into this movie by this point there's like i will finish my picture you know and i think albin feels that way too fritz could probably care less fritz is like you know i'm a gun for hire on this movie literally gun for hire you know back to that (laughs) weapon idea and um but albin and and murnau is like my artistic vision will be fulfilled then grow albin grow is like i'm the producer i've got investors who are who are thinking I'm crazy for doing this? Yeah, he has a line about how you know, like he's gonna be ruined if mm-hmm. you know this doesn't come out well. So, exactly. yeah, he's got something similar invested to it into it that like Murnau does. And in real life, it kind of didn't turn out well for them. Like I said, you know, in their time, because they essentially made the movie without permission and and got sued. <laughs> so so they didn't reap the financial rewards of Nosferatu at all. That didn't come until, you know, Kino Lorber started putting it out, you know, on, on DVD and Blu-ray, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, 70 years later, right, or whatever. Okay, so after they fail at trying to kill him, then Shrek actually breaks Fritz's neck, right? Yeah, Fritz and, and, tries to shoot him, which doesn't do anything. And, which doesn't do yeah. anything, that's right. And then Albin, he goes and he's like strangling Albin, and, and Murnau's filming all this. Filming the whole thing, happening. yes. Yeah, and, and this is a hand-cranked camera, so he has to be actively doing this. There's no, oh, the camera's accidentally on. It's it's He's hand-cranking the camera and moving it so he captures all of this stuff that's happening to his friends, ostensibly, right? Uh, Grau, Albin is being strangled. It says, frankly, Count, I find this composition unworkable. Please return to your original mark. And it's like, what? It's happened. He's totally gone nuts, right? Yeah, that's when he's, he has, he's gone off the deep end. He he's has become it. so maddened by his vision that mm-hmm. he does not care that these people are dead. Right in front of him. Right. But the funny thing is that Shrek actually does it. He does. He does because... <laughs> he goes, because he goes back to where he was before, yeah. I think it's because so he's... Sa- not dead yet. It's because he says that line. He says, if, it if it's not in frame, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And just as much as anybody else, what does that camera and that film mean more than anything else? It means immortality. Shrek wants immortality. I mean, that's why he became a vampire in the first place, right? Which he sort of, he has, obviously, as a vampire, but he, it's like he doesn't really like it anymore. You know, yeah. he's not a hes not a happy vampire. So, yeah, maybe he is getting something, he's definitely getting something out of this bargain, too, to be immortalized in this movie exactly and you know it really focuses in on like the mechanics of the camera and how the film goes through it and it's sort of all of that mad scientist stuff happening it's it's like the mechanical eye of that camera it's 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 like murnau has in a way become the camera he's become mechanical and calculated and he only sees what's in this what's in his frame. frame And everything, nothing. See reality. Nothing else is real. It's a dark. Yeah, ending. I do really. I yeah, I do really like that 
comparison to it as a, as a mad scientist movie because it you definitely get it from the look you know they're wearing like white lab coats and yeah. those, those goggles to protect them from the arc lights and yeah but he definitely looks like a mad scientist sometimes when he's yelling on set and definitely in this last scene where you know when the other people finally come in and truck is killed yeah he's he's gone off <laughs> it's he, he just invites he's everybody still, he's still in. talking he's still talking to alvin even though he's, he's dead. dead yeah and he says uh and he has someone i need i need a final slate yeah you know so he holds up the final slate and turns it over and he says and cut or, or they don't say cut. They say they don't end. say cut. They say start. They say begin and end. I love. That's another little weird detail that I like about this movie. But he just yeah, they, me too. and it just <laughs> ends with him. He just stops rolling the camera and he stands. And then the movie ends. No, I, no wait. It's. I think we have. I it. think we have it. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's what that's I like was trying perfect, to. Remember. That's like a perfect final line. It's the perfect final line for it, and. Oh, man. And this movie, I, I actually kind of got a chill thinking about that closing. Because, yes, it's dark. It's not, uh, there's nothing in that ending that leaves you feeling super great. But it's real. It's the right ending, and it's very powerful. And, I mean, what else could happen? I mean, it's like, after the film runs out, it's over. You know, it, it, there's sort of this weird, there's a meta-ness to it, too, uh, yeah. in, a, in a lot of ways. Oh, but Defoe in that um, final scene too, when he's doing his, when he's acting his death scene, and then when he actually dies. Oh man! Yes. You know, I, like I said, I haven't seen the movie, but yes. I know the, I know that shot. I know that. Oh, that that is that such gesture with the hand on the heart and the line. Yeah, Ugh. the hand on the heart, and the, and 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 he disappears. And that's the that it's yeah amazing. and and um, I love how they kind of do it twice because he he films his death yeah. scene. And you know that's and he does it kind of he does it kind of in a funny way too. Yeah. Because in the middle of it, he does a little like. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Motion is like no, 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 that's not right. But yeah, yeah. His, when he's actually dying. Yeah, ugh, it's just that so that burn and. Um, yeah. Some one of the things that's that's sort of interesting behind the scenes of this movie. This, this was uh, this was produced um, by Nicolas Cage. Who is? I saw that. Yeah. Okay, I wrote that in my notes. So yeah. I was like, Wait a minute, what? He's who is who is just kind of obsessed with vampires. He's really into vampires. Um, really? Yeah. It, it was. The it was. Kiss is amazing. I you know, and <laughs> I gotta see that movie. I still haven't seen it. You haven't? Oh god, and, it's so good. But he he was just he's just like really into vampire lore and Nosferatu is one of his favorite movies as I understand and um, it's interesting because they thought about changing the title because they didn't like the title Shadow of the Vampire because it I don't know because technically do vampires cast shadows well they do in in Nosferatu <laughs> and in this movie um, they do. but originally they were going to call it they thought about calling it and this is a t stupid title but burned burned to light it doesn't it's a it's uh, yeah but that shot where he actually does disappear you know it's sort of it's sort of overtaken by the light of the frame you don't see him yeah. disappear it's like the rest of the light in the room overexposes and um he disappears in into yeah. the light and it implies this sort of vampiric the kind of thing you would see in a Hammer film or something like that, where the where the vampire turns to dust in the sunlight. Yeah. No, Shadow of the Vampire is a better title. Shadow of the Vampire is a much better title, and it makes sense because I mean, what are what is film but you know capturing of shadows? 
That's really what it is. Light exposed onto this piece of nitrate, in that case, or film. It's not real. I mean, it's a, it's a representation. It's a shadow. It's not, yeah. it's not reality. And another scene earlier, I, I love when Shrek goes in and he's, he's turning, cranking the reels oh, on, yeah. on the, uh, and it's the sunrise. It's- and and it's just it's kind of this lovely moment because you know, he hasn't he seen, hasn't seen the, sunrise the sunrise in life, centuries yeah. and there it is and and for a character like that to have that kind of moment of wonder is pretty cool. Yeah, I really like. Uh, I love this movie in so many ways. Well, in Shadow of the Vampire, the title also goes back to like who's actually in charge. Yes, this whole time is the vampire, and everybody is in his shadow. Anyway, very, very no, you're, good, but you're right. That's 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 one hundred percent true. And yeah, Shadow of the Vampire is definitely uh, the better title. And boy, does this need a Blu-ray or so bad or uh. to be available on streaming or something? Um, because this is a great film and it should be more seen than it is. Every time I, was I see it, so I like it. I'm so mad at like how hard it was to find I know. To, to watch it again. I and the thing is, I find DVDs of it often um, mm-hmm. around for fairly inexpensive, maybe four or five bucks. But that's probably not going to remain the case, uh, especially if as people, hopefully people, because um, I know of, of a lot of people who like this movie and kind of defend oh, yeah. it, or or it doesn't need much defending because a lot it was. Hey. It was well liked among you know sort of art film circles at the time. It's it's Academy Award nominated, one of Willem Dafoe's Academy Award nominations for Best Supporting Actor. And um, yeah, horror fans love it. Yeah, even like regular filmmaking nerds love it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's and there's a lot to like about this movie. I'm so much so glad to be able to revisit. I I actually wrote an article on this. Uh, for Dread Central is the last piece I had published with them, and I really got to dive into that. And I hadn't seen the movie in a little while when I wrote that article, but since then I've watched it, you know, three or four times since then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because I just remembered how much I love it. I actually think, you know, in some ways it's as funny of a movie of of a vampire movie, you know, except maybe what we do in the shadows is probably funnier, but. There's not many that are as funny as this. It's so clever. It's very smart. It's a really yeah. intelligent movie. And, ugh, and that's I what I like it. about the comedy of it is that it's it's comedy that you might not even catch the first time. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like uh, but one of my favorite lines. I don't think we mentioned when he um, uh, when Shrek says, "I don't think we need the writer anymore." <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's like as much as I am loath to say it. The writer is necessary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this movie, yeah, just brilliant writing, brilliant filmmaking. Uh, the performances are all around are just perfect for each role. Yeah, this is this one of... This is a great movie to watch. I'm glad I got to watch this again. This is... I had been meaning to for a while, because um, um, rem- I just remembered the first time I saw it, like... And talking to other people about it, like, they all loved it, but you don't hear it talked about that much, so... No. Here we are. Yeah, and I, I will sing this pra- the praises of this movie as often as I can. Whenever anyone asks, what are your favorite vampire movies on Twitter or something like that, this is always the top <laughs> of my list. And I, I love a lot of vampire movies, but this, I think, you know, as far as this, it's tough because uh, Let the Right One In is, is really high up there, too. But um, 
but this movie is kind of got everything and that's one of the things that sort of puts it at that level for me yeah it's not even a typical vampire movie it's, it's not, not at all it's not like bloody or you know a lot of killing and feeding and it's none of that but it still works you still love it as a as a vampire because it's i think i love the 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 classic vampire that it that it brings back obviously nosferatu and dracula you know um we have all these modern vampires now which are awesome and cool like love what we do in the shadows and all that kind of stuff but well even what we do in take, the shadows is back, kind of a throwback you know it's kind <laughs> yeah, of a throwback but this to is like taking him back vampire. to like actual like he's kind of he's got the pointy yes. ears and the weird face and just the look of him is you don't see that very often. No, very cool. no. And I do love that sort of rat-like design that yes. they came up with <laughs> initially. Idea. You know, the rodent design. And, you know, it, that's been copied. You know, Salem's Lot did that. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the remake of Nosferatu did that. And it looks like um, Robert Eggers is planning on doing a remake of this film, as well, of Nosferatu as well. So it'll be... Maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe uh, that will bring attention to this film again. I can keep my fingers crossed. uh, I will too. Because it really deserves it. Okay, so let's uh, switch gears and head over to the 50s. Going from the 20s to the 50s. Oh yeah, we're not done yet with awesome movies this week, because now we're going to talk about Ed Wood. All right, let's shoot this fucker. And I got to tell you, I I love this movie. I've only seen it once before mm-hmm. deciding to do this, but I, I knew I loved it that first time around, because how could you not? Because it's beautiful and it's wonderful. Fell in love with it even more these last, like, four or five times that I watched it. Um, like I said, it's, it's got to be Tim Burton's best movie. I mean, I personally, I have a, a little soft spot always for Beetlejuice, but this one, this one's going up there. This is amazing. What about you? Yeah, this is my favorite I almost said Ed Wood movie. Uh, This is my favorite Tim Burton movie, (laughs) though I really do. I think he made a it it was kind of underseen, but I thought his movie Big Eyes was quite good. I didn't see that one. Yeah. With Christoph Waltz and uh, Amy Adams. Mm -hmm. I thought that was quite good. And it's it's kind of a restrained film. I would say much more restrained than this one. Uh, This one is rather exuberant. And I love that it's done in sort of a sort of a faux Ed Wood style, except yes. it's, except it's when it competent, opens, you know? Uh, <laughs> when it opens with Chris Well and that, okay, I haven't seen the movies, obviously. That's another thing. I did, I decided not to watch Nosferatu, and I also have not seen any of Ed Wood's actual movies before, because I didn't really want to be, like, influenced, maybe, in a way. It would have been cool sure. to see, like, them recreating certain things, but, so, like, when it opens and, um, Criswell does his little introduction, and the, the, I love the music in this so much. Is that music from like Plan Nine? No, it's 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 the it's the score. Or is it original music? It's, it's the score which okay. was written by uh, Howard Shore, not Danny Elfman, which is really music. surprising. Because uh, yeah. Danny Elfman does like all of Tim Burton's movies. So yeah, the music is so perfect in this. And he does he does some cool things. I mean, with that opening, I, I love that it's sort of this obvious model. I mean, it's very clearly this is a model that was built, and it's a miniature, and and, and they push in through the window, and there's mm-hmm. Chris Well in the coffin, and he says, "Do you think you can?" <laughs> and he's in character, and um, yeah, it does 
Can you have a horrifying story? <laughs> I don't know that he says horrifying, but it's just <laughs> the real, the real, yeah, the real details of story of Edward. Edward D. Wood Jr. You know, it's very funny. <laughs> and uh, a great parallel, also another parallel between this and Shadow of the Vampire. Same Oscar nominations yes. for best makeup and best supporting actor. Ed Wood actually won both of those. It did, yeah, because Shadow won neither. <laughs> in in damn, yeah, but that's that's okay. I mean, this another thing. You know, Ed Wood is a larger film. Shadow is a pretty small little production. Um, though Ed Wood is, it's not like Batman huge or anything like that. You know, uh, it's it's a nice, comfortable, uh, mid-level studio movie. You know, uh, and this is a studio movie, whereas the other was independent. I think that there's uh, something to be said for that budget level of filmmaking mm-hmm. because nowadays there's it's like it seems like everything is either Wonder Woman 84 budget or Marvel Universe budget or just like we're shooting, you know, on weekends with with handy cams, you know, <laughs> kind of kind of yeah. thing. It, it doesn't seem like there's that a couple of actors and yeah. one house and yeah for for $100,000. And I love a lot of those movies. You know, I mean, I just watched oh, yeah. the movie Scare Me, you know, which is obviously a micro budget movie. I mean, there are four actors in that movie total and one of them's in it for about you know two minutes (laughs) and those movies a lot of those movies are great you know that are the micro budget independent films that's great but you know that mid-budget range is there's a lot of room there and there's a lot of stories that used to be told in that range you know Mm. that just don't seem to be as common anymore well though I gotta say, Netflix is kind of filling that role a little bit more now. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, uh, Netflix and Prime and things like that. Anyway, that's a side. This track. movie is another. To me, this movie is another like just perfect storm of writing, directing, acting coming together to produce like just such a beautiful story that I think needed to be told. I think there's a great story here mm-hmm. in the life of Ed Wood. Um, this was written by. Writing team Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Yes. When they were students. They were like students at USC, I think it said when they wrote this. They also wrote uh, (laughs) Problem Child 1 and 2, which I love. I'm sorry. I love it. And they did other biopics. They did uh, People vs. Larry Flint and Man on the Moon. And then recently Dolomite is My Name, which was fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So they've got this kind of, they've got this market kind of cornered and this was perfect for them and tim burton directing this and johnny depp they're another one of those great director actor pairs like we were talking about that when they get together they just make magic together even though this was only their second time working together which kind of surprises me in a way because they it seems like they've already reached a shorthand Mm -hmm. there's certain actor director teams where like de niro and scorsese where you right. know, and we talked about this in the casino episode, where you know that they probably don't have to say much to each other anymore. There's probably not much directing going yeah. on there. It's just kind of like it's probably like all right. I know what, running, I know what you go. do. Do it. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and and that almost seems to be the case here. And you know, Johnny Depp is as an actor in this period. He was so daring. He was he was pretty what? fearless as an actor and which is interesting because his first movie uh you know nightmare on elm street you hear about wes craven saying giving interviews saying that johnny depp was really nervous about acting you know he was a musician he wasn't particularly comfortable with this so for him to do a movie's 
Well, first, his first movie, too, with Burton, uh, being Edward Scissorhands, I mean, that's that seems, despite the makeup and stuff that he had to deal with, that seems to me to be, you know, sort of the sensitive soul kind of movie. That's that's a that's great. Ed Wood is completely different than that. I mean, he's got a he's got a strange accent. He's got false mm-hmm. teeth. That I, he's obviously. I, I think they actually must have used false teeth for Johnny Depp as well. Oh, they have to. Have. Yeah, because because he kind of talks. You definitely see the way he. Yeah, yeah the way he the holds way he his mouth. Him. It's like he's talking around him, and and you know everything is is overacted a little bit by him, not necessarily by everyone, but he is, is like always acting in his own movie. But he gives perfect line deliveries every uh, he, step of the way. He does. And it's one of the things that I like so much about this movie is, is it's like Ed Wood is acting in one of his own movies. I don't know. It's, I haven't seen any archival footage or anything of the actual Ed Wood. I don't know what his, what he was like. Was he always, because I haven't either. Yeah. He always seems so very, very optimistic, you know, (laughs) which I love about him. That's, that is what I love about him so much in this movie. He is, he's truly inspirational. (laughs) Really is in this movie with his attitude. Uh So the movie is basically, um, it's, it starts out with Ed. He has just directed play that doesn't do so well. And it, the movie is about <laughs> I love them sitting him, in there yeah. with the rain coming down. You know, it's no, there like five so people in the whole theater. And, you know, they're on stage. And, and he's saying every line of dialogue, mouthing every line of dialogue along with the actors with, with such passion, you know. <laughs> and you get the first hint of the kind of person that Edward is when you know, they go out with um, his girlfriend Dolores and, and Bunny Breckenridge, and they go out afterwards, and they're reading the first reviews. And it's a terrible review, obviously. But Ed, he's so optimistic. He's like, "Look, they mentioned the costumes. That's good." <laughs> they didn't mention the cons- the costumes in the latest Francis the Mule picture, and it did. <laughs> yeah, and it did great. Yeah, so he's like, "Why are you focusing on the negative? Look at the positive." Yeah. We'll just do better next time is just the attitude that he has the whole movie. And I yes. God, I just love it so much. So then after that, the movie just kind of follows him as he goes off to um, make his own movies. And it kind of follows as he makes, uh, <laughs> I just kind of forgot what they were. He makes Glitter and Glenda. Glenda. And uh, then Bride of the, Bride of the Atom. Which they changed to Bride of the Monster. Bride of the Monster. Yeah, and then Plan and then 9 it ends from Outer Space. Plan 9 from Outer Space. And it's just like his journey and the people that, the, his crew that he assembles along the way of the, like, as we were calling them, this uh, lovable, lovable little band of misfits. Yes. Yeah, and that, I mean, I think is sort of the beautiful overarching theme of the movie is. Yeah, exactly. Just be you. That's what every character that we sympathize with in this movie, at least, mm-hmm. is, is doing. I mean, in spite of. You know, including you know Vampira and and uh, Tor and Tor Johnson and and all of these these characters are they're just like we're going to shut out the noise around us and just enjoy being who we are. That's something that I admire because I am terrible at exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, and that scene with um, the the fake uh, meeting Edward meeting Orson Welles. Yes. Didn't actually happen. Oh. Um, Orson Welles says, you know, visions are worth fighting for. 
why waste your life making someone else's dreams? That's right. Which is really, that's the heart of the movie. And I think I would say that the representation of that heart is Ed and, you know, his crew, but he's, he's the leader. He just has a passion for movies and making them. And no matter how much people try to stop him or tell him he sucks, you know, he still went out and he made the damn things, That's you know, right. as Drama would say. Yeah. And what's, what's, what's more admirable than that to me? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, obviously the movies were not successful in their day, but mm-hmm. he's become, you know, this this cult legend. Sure, it's because he's considered the worst filmmaker of all time, but it's sort of like he's not. I mean, there are, there are worse no. filmmakers uh, His because, okay, one of the things I've, sort of learned over the years is a movie can be all kinds of things uh it can be incompetent it can be messy (laughs) it can not make any sense but the only unforgivable sin of cinema is to be boring boring and ed wood is not boring (laughs) you know it's it's strange it's but it's weirdly entertaining and I haven't seen a lot of Ed Wood. I've, I've seen um, part of Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is a trip. I mean, it, it's, really? it's, it's uh, but I mean, to call it the worst movie ever made, at least it had passion no. behind it, you know? At least it was, at least, you know, they, they, they were like, we are making, I'm making my Citizen Kane. I'm making something great, you know, and and I love that attitude because if someone sets out to make a bad movie, it's false. It actually will, it, it just won't be entertaining. It won't be any good. Edward, Edward was never wanting to make bad movies. He wanted to make, he wanted stories. He, like he says in the movie, like, I want to make stories about things that I find interesting. Yeah. And you know, and he did, and he compared. And I don't believe in the concept of you know a bad movie. Right. Technically, like like you said, I mean, there's very. I'm not the kind of person that I don't. There's very, very, very few movies that I like actively hate. Right. Me too. <laughs> Which I can't even really think of any right now. Like I don't. I don't watch movies in that way. Too. I don't watch movies to hate them. I watch them to find the good in them. Yeah. And Ed Wood, I think he. He put the good in them because he put in his his passion and his heart, no matter like the outcome. Yeah. It feels kind of weird to say that, you know, like I haven't seen yeah. the movies. They could be like really terrible. But the way that he's portrayed in this movie, I don't believe that they can be. If this is the person that was behind the making of them, I, I, I think I could see something in them. You, I, th- yeah? I think you could call <laughs> his movies incompetent, <laughs> you know, but I don't think that you can really call them terrible exactly because i mean there there's like movies like troll 2 or the room that are complete they're very incompetent and they're bizarre and they're like wow this is objectively a bad movie but it's but people kind of want to watch it (laughs) you know because but people love them exactly and then if someone if someone loves it how can it be a bad movie right right Yeah. Um, when I think a bad movie, I, I think one that is miss. It doesn't have any spark to it. Mm-hmm. That those are the movies that are truly bad, are ones that are <laughs> are lifeless and and mean and and you know those are the ones that I consider to be the true 
truly bad movies, the ones that have no passion put into them. And Ed Wood's movies mm-hmm. do not qualify. And again with that, like his his attitude towards that is just so amazing. This time I was watching it, I was just like, I, I really need to be more like this guy because... You know, we we both kind of deal with, you know, anxiety and maybe feelings of low self-confidence where you're probably telling yourself in your head all the time, you know, that you're not good enough and, you know, nothing you ever do is good and people don't really like you. When Ed, when you watch this movie, he has people telling him to his face all the time, like, you make crap. This movie sucks. Like, you're never going to be successful. And what's his response is like, on the phone, when the... That one producer watches the movie and he's like, oh, worst movie you ever saw. Well, I'll do better next time. I'll do time. better next time. Yeah, that's one of my favorite and I was moments. Like, I was like, go Ed. Yes, okay. That's the kind of attitude that I need to... We should all be so confident yeah. as Ed would. And though behind the scenes in some of the domestic settings, he does express a little bit of, of, of self-doubt. But then mm-hmm. uh, Dolores, who... I mean, okay, Sarah Jessica Parker has a tough role in this movie. I think Yeah, he says she was thankless. She's yeah, she's it's a the, very she's a role. thankless role, but she does have one moment where she's doesn't really play I guess the shrew. Oh, I hate to say that term for the but that's kind of how she's portrayed in a lot of this movie is but she says well She's kind of she's more representative of judgmental people i think the normals it's, the normies yeah yeah or if you she's will she's like the one character that has to represent all of that against the the group of weirdos that right. Ed has surrounded himself with exactly yeah one of one of her lines there you know you've surrounded yourself with a bunch of weirdos that literally is one of her lines but she also yeah. says you know after after he gives Glenn or Glenda to the producer and they think it's a joke and that conversation she says well maybe you're not studio material maybe you need to just raise your own money to, and make your own movies you know it's like without her in a way there is no Ed Wood you know yeah and that's you know kind of kind of a the one moment where she's given to be a, a bit more sympathetic of a character because boy she's got a tough role to play in this movie she does but i think what, what's what's interesting i think she does a really good performance though and she i don't find myself just completely hating her all the time i'm like no. you know you you, you kind of go oh because you because obviously ed sees something in her for them to be together um so she has to be likable on some level, right? And she even has her moment for where her in her review they say she looks like a horse, and it's like, oh, <laughs> which is just like that is brutal. Um, Isn't that kind of a dig on Sarah Jessica Parker herself, she, though? Because she's probably gotten that criticism, and I hate to say I think, that. I think she has, and that's probably yeah. I think she has is what I'm think is what I'm saying. I think she has gotten that before, and I think that was maybe like a little meta joke. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was intended as that as well. So, do we just want to talk about the? characters i mean my i mean what more martin landau that's, as that's where Bella i Gussie. was just about holy to go holy shit i <laughs> love that everything in this movie i love his introduction where he's laying in the coffin in the yes. in like the funeral <laughs> store i don't even know what this and he's like this is the most <laughs> uncomfortable room. coffin i've ever been in so he's been in lots of coffins uh it's just like <laughs> 
<laughs> and and I love I love how it's like so many people say, you know, I saw you live, you know, playing Dracula. You're much scarier in person than you are in the movie. And he says, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and one of the – Martin Lando's performance is so good that when they actually show clips of the real of, – of Bela Lugosi movies, they're showing – they're not reshooting the scenes with Martin yeah. Landau playing him. They're showing actual Bela Lugosi movies. They're showing um, – uh, white they're zombie. They're watching Dracula on Halloween. Yeah, they're, it's it's what is the movie is actually white zombie. White zombie. Yeah, it's white zombie. White zombie. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's yeah in that one. Sorry. Yeah, and and you know they show him you know clutching his hands together in the same way and and, and I love and love the, well, my gosh Bella like, how do you do that <laughs> you must be double jointed and Hungarian and Hungarian yeah um it's uh, his 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 scenes are endlessly quotable and. Um, oh my god! <laughs> and he, you, you feel for the guy because, my gosh, this was—he uh, did Dracula, became a huge star overnight. Uh, he had played it on the stage, um, and you know he was instantly typecast. Uh, he never—if he had done Frankenstein, he probably would have been less typecast. But he says in this movie, you know, I didn't do it, and because I thought, you know. Uh, movie with no dialogue uh, or a part with no dialogue for a big star like me you know whereas yeah. if he had done that he probably would have been an even bigger star uh instead we get this <laughs> rivalry between he and Karloff, him and Boris Karloff. <laughs> which is frankly you know from from what i understand is actually fairly exaggerated um probably yeah because because <laughs> By all accounts, uh, Boris Karloff was a lovely man who was very well liked. And the only thing, though I can't imagine, whereas whereas Bela Lugosi was, got a reputation as being hard to work with and being eccentric. And, you know, that's that's a tough thing to, to do. I mean, obviously that magnetism and that he's electric on screen. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. And, you know, I understand why people love Lugosi movies. I love Lugosi movies. But uh he uh <laughs> he he was a he was a weird dude <laughs> as I understand. <laughs> I, I, it wasn't uh too far off the truth. He and I mean especially gaining a certain amount of bitterness. By the time we meet him in this movie, he hasn't worked in 4 years and the only movies he can do, the only movies he can do are these movies for uh, this quote unquote incompetent hack right there's the only one who will hire him but yeah but yeah the the Lugosi that we meet in this movie yeah he hasn't worked he's he's broke yes he's a drug addict and he's he, he's kind of sad and i think edward kind of brings him back to life a little bit his wife has just left him yeah his wife has just left him um, he has a house full of dogs and that's about it they're adorable though I love those uh, yeah dogs. <laughs> it's, it's cute um landau does that another a great juxtaposition again of really true human nature with what lugosi is going through at the time and also being really fucking funny he's, he's so funny <laughs> every line it's like and <laughs> You know what he's brought into the uh, the first time he's brought in on on the set to do mm -hmm. for for the Glenn or Glenda. He's just sitting in a chair and he gives this monologue 
and he's completely ready and he's magnetic, but what he is saying is completely ridiculous. It makes no Pull sense. Pull the strings! <laughs> Pull the strings! And um, it's so wonderfully done because he's taking his role as actor seriously because first thing he walks on set is, all right, where's my money? You know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Ed gives it to him. He's like, okay, let's uh, let's do this. And, and someone come, one of the actors comes up to him and says, hey, uh, would you sign my script for me? You know, my favorite movie of yours is The Invisible Ray. You as Karloff's sidekick. You were great as Karloff's sidekick. Yeah. And then he just lays into him. Karloff isn't worthy to smell my shit. (laughs) Um, He has all the quotable lines in this movie. And and then then he says, all right, Bella, do do you need a break? He says, Bullshit! Let's shoot this fucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's just no. That's from later. Oh, that's, on. that's later. <laughs> okay. Bullshit! I'm ready now, or something like. I can't remember what he says. Yeah, I'm bullshit. I'm ready now. That's yeah. what he says. Yeah. But yeah, that's the best line in the whole movie when they're shooting like the octopus. The octopus scene. scene. That's what it Plan is. Plan nine. That's what it is. And he just apparently now just comes into frame and just goes, "All right, let's shoot this fucker." Yeah. <laughs> that is the best line. You know which movie of yours I love, Mr. Lugosi? The Invisible Ray. You were great as Karloff's sidekick. Karloff? Sidekick? Fuck you! Karloff does not deserve to smell my shit! That limey cocksucker can rot in hell for all I care! What happened? How dare that asshole bring up Karloff? You think it takes talent to play Frankenstein? It's all on makeup and then grunting. Bella, I agree 100%. Now, Dracula, that's a role that requires talent. Of course. Dracula requires presence. It's all in the eyes and the voice and the hand. That's right. That's right. You seem a little agitated. You want to go outside and get some air? Bullshit. I'm ready now. Roll the camera. (laughs) <laughs> He's the octopus. They forgot to steal the octopus motor, <laughs> and so he has to move the the tentacles with his hands around himself. And oh, it's oh, it's just so well done. Even in that that scene that you're talking about with with Glenn or Glinda, again, there's another moment where the makeup guy is putting makeup on, on his, his hands. hands, turns his arm over, and there's all the track marks in yeah. his arm. Yeah. And so it's another moment like that. And then after the octopus scene, you know, uh, the next morning and um, he and Ed are talking outside the studio and Ed is like, you know, I sh- I'm so sorry to make you do this. I shouldn't have you like, you know, running around. You're a great actor. I shouldn't have you running around the, in the water at 4 a.m. And, and um, Lugosi says to him, you know, there's not many men that I would do that for. Yeah. So they have such a great relationship in this movie. Yeah, and it's this wonderful affection between them. It and starts it, out as admiration yeah. from Ed for just who he is as an actor, and then he, you know, gets to know him as, as a person and really starts to care about him. And, you know, so often that could fall into sort of this mentor-mentee relationship. It's really not that at all. These are equals in a yeah. lot of ways, you know, Ed on his way up, Lugosi unfortunately on his way down, and they meet in this spot and mm-hmm. really bond. Even though you know there's massive different 
difference in age and experience, all of these and sort of sensibility, uh, obviously, like cultural heritage, uh, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, Bela Lugosi being Hungarian. And in fact, he, he never particularly learned English very well. He had to learn a lot of lines phonetically. And there's a there's a moment when he's going to be on the live television broadcast. Oh, yeah. And, and he, can't, he, he can't say some of the lines. And so Ed says, oh, just say this instead. You know, that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, he's he's a different breed of actor. You know, he needs to know what's... He need, he prepares. He's an actor that prepares and knows what he's supposed to do. So when when the comedian kind of goes improv- off and improvises, improvises, he doesn't know what to do yeah. and he's lost. And, 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 and it's kind of a disaster and, and really embarrassing. That scene really makes me sad. You yeah, know? me too. It really... Cause, you know, See, that happened to someone like... Bella Lugosi, like, come yeah. on. Yeah. I, so uh, he was someone who, like Ed says earlier in the film, you know, he, do you know how much money he made for this studio? Dracula, The Black Cat, you know, all those movies that were classics. Um, but he was, he was. Nobody seems to respect that anymore. No one respects that anymore. And, you know, people still, I mean, uh, respect his contemporary. And I think that uh, in Boris Karloff, and I think that's where so much of that, you know, sort of vitriol comes from is that, you know, Boris Karloff, you know, he, he worked constantly all the way up until the end. I mean, uh, he died in 1969. I mean, he was making movies with Peter Bogdanovich in 1968. And, you know, he did a couple others oh, right after that, you know, right. but um, essentially between Frankenstein and Targets and a couple other movies he made in Mexico after that. Karloff worked constantly during that whole time. And his output is massive. <laughs> Just the number, if you look on his IMDb, yeah. the number of movies and television shows and appearances and plays and everything that Boris Karloff did never stopped. Uh, Lugosi, you know, he gained a reputation as a bit of a diva and difficult to work with and it's sort of sort of ruined him and and you know and all uh, he says he was a drug addict for 20 years well that would have been in yeah. the 30s when he he started taking you know i i think it what what does morphine. he say uh morphine that's right morphine with a demerol chaser that's at the height of his success, he's already falling into these vices that would ultimately make it so he wasn't able to work anymore, at least not on the level that he could at first. And it's kind of a running joke in this movie. Every time Ed brings up, like, Bella Lugosi's name, what does everybody say? He's like, oh, I thought he was dead. I thought he was dead, yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of sad. And they, like, he, he, he has, like, funny little quotes back to that. I like it. He's like, no. He's very much alive. Yeah. I love the way he says that. But then, but, but yeah, then it, it is kind of a sad thing that he's been forgotten like yeah. this, and people are like, "Oh, Lagosi? Ah, I guess he'll be all right. We'll put him in the movie, right? Maybe he'll make some money, right? Exactly. Well, I mean, and then at the very end, you know, he's kind of brought that line is brought up one more time, where he says, "You know, I have, I we have a star. We have Bella Lugosi, and." And he says, oh, I had heard he'd passed on. And he says, well, yeah, you know, where he has to actually say he had actually died. He'd actually died and he had the last footage. So and they could film the rest with a double. But um, that's Bela Lugosi is really sort of the the, I mean, Ed Wood is the lead character, but uh, Martin Lando kind of steals the show. He does. And as much as I love the other characters, but and in his own way, Bill Murray 
definitely steals all of his scenes. His that scenes he's in for as sure. Bunny Breckenridge. Yes. Um, he is amazing. And I love him. He's, of course he's funny because he's Bill Murray. But the the kind of character that he's playing here, he's playing a, a trans man in the 50s. Yeah. Which is crazy. But it's, to me... And he's it's, so open about it's it. It's funny, but it's not played... That's, no, that aspect not a, is not played for laughs. No, he's not He's not a joke. It's not a joke. At yeah. It, it's, it, but he's just a, a funny character. Yeah. Um, so well played. And I think it's 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 I think it's played um, even for the '90s, sort of a bit ahead of its time. Not mm-hmm. not to, not even for the '50s, you know, but for the '90s even. Yeah, I, I I'm a well, Ghostbusters is in my is in my forever favorites, obviously. right? So uh, <laughs> so um, obviously I'm a Bill Murray fan, and I love sort of the latter career of Bill Murray that we're experiencing kind of starting with Ed Wood in a way where he's playing more dramatic roles even though he's funny he's still playing something different proving that he really is a terrific actor and not just mm-hmm. a great com- comedic af- actor just comedic just actor, a comedic yeah. in quotes there yeah he's wonderful wonderful in this and especially watching this movie now that whole thing about a bunny being trans and Ed being a cross-dresser, which we want to be, like, sensitive and respectful here, so if we use the wrong terminology, like, we apologize. I don't think... They say the word transvestite a lot in this movie to describe what Ed is. I, I believe that's considered a slur now, or it's actually something that they're taking back. Yes. One of those, one of those uh, slurs that queers are taking back just like you know, queer has been been reclaimed by the the community and i just i love the way that they handle it so much in this movie because yeah dolores is the only one that really has a problem with it everybody exactly. else is just like oh that's awesome including bella oh, that's just you that's just you yeah, yeah bella that scene where he's he's at the rap party when he's dancing bella just goes out and dances with him on the dance floor yeah doesn't care. I love the way that they treat the people in this movie. Like uh, Dolores is the only one that calls them, you know, weirdos and stuff like that. But you know, you're watching them and you're you're getting to know them as you're watching the movie, and you're like, yeah, but you know what? I want to hang out with those weirdos because they seem like they're having fun. Exactly. And they're such they're so supportive of Ed, and they'll you know they're doing all this crazy stuff to help him get the movie made. They're not weirdos. They're family. Yeah, exactly. They're more than friends. They're family. And it's they're so awesome together. I love watching them. <laughs> and that's something that we've brought up as a theme that we like in movies. Uh, we talked about it in Mask and, yeah. and others. That, and you know, when we talk about Almost Famous, uh, that's going to come up too. The, the found family. The found yeah. family. It's such a beautiful theme that's in so many terrific movies. And the way it's portrayed in this movie, and then you have people sort of brought into it as we go through. You, Tor Johnson is brought in. The rest of Yeah. Chriswell. Yeah, Chriswell and, and Vampira, exactly. And, um, and Bella, of course. And... It's it's wonderful and uh, added to, you know, the the small 
company of actors that we see at the beginning who stick all mm-hmm. the way through the movie as well. Except, of course, for Dolores, yeah. who, who leaves after the rap party of Bride of the Monster. She sees Ed and doing his dance. Uh, he's, he's dressed in women's clothes, sort of in an Angora sweater, and he's got a veil over his face, and he's taken his yeah. dentures yeah. out. He, mm-hmm. lost, he was in the war, in World War II, and he, and he lost his front teeth. So he's not even bothering to wear them. He's completely himself. Yeah. And she just freaks out and says, you are crazy. What is wrong with you people? These movies are terrible. You know, she says, I decided to leave a long time ago. I just wanted to stay with you until you finish the movie. And then she leaves and we don't see her again until her post credit sequence where we find out <laughs> that, ironically, um, she started a little uh, songwriting career in which she wrote some of Elvis Presley's most ridiculed songs like Do the Clam, you know, sort of these jokey, <laughs> stupid, t- quote-unquote, terrible songs. You know, so it's it's sort of funny that someone who who comes out saying this is terrible kind of makes a career out of doing something that a lot of people consider terrible herself, you know? Especially in that scene with the rap party, she calls out them for for obviously being weird and, and making terrible movies, but they're representing the complete opposite. They are loving being together and doing this thing and creating something and being able to be in a group of people where they can be themselves without judgment. Exactly. And what is like a more beautiful thing than that? Yeah. And that, I mean, that is the core of this movie. Is, I think it is. Yes. Is, I mean, another phrase we, oh, and- uh, we can reclaim, you know, let your freak flag fly, so to speak, you know, sure. just being who you are, whatever that may be. And, you know, earlier in the sequence, you know, uh, even Bella, you know, he's he's like, Eddie, what is this movie about? You know, yeah. and he says, well, it's about <laughs> we have people we keep hidden from the world and then we have the part of ourselves that we showed everybody. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. like enough for him, yeah. you know, and after doing that movie, he's Glenn or Glenda, he, uh, he just is like, oh, this is my friend Eddie and he is who he is and I love him for who he is. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. And Ed There's no question. And Ed's reasons Ed gives his reasons for why he dresses in women's clothes. It's like it makes me feel comfortable. Yeah. I love women and it helps make me feel close to them. Like he knows why he does it and he's okay with it. Yeah. And everybody else is too, because he's still the same Ed. Either way, you know, it's the same with you know, if anybody comes out as, as queer or trans or anything like that, they're still the same person you always knew. Exactly. You just have to accept this other part of them too. I mean, which was there too. It's just yeah. wasn't wasn't necessarily expressed before in the same way or openly. Dolores has another line earlier when they're on set and Ed is he's wearing the wig and the Angora sweater and everything and she says, like, how can you just walk around like this with all these people looking? And she tells them, like, this isn't the real world. In a way, maybe kind of preparing him for whatever judgment if it actually comes out but he he tells several people you know throughout the movie about this and they're fine with it and i love everybody's everybody has a little bit of different reaction to it even um george weiss i love it <laughs> <laughs> even he's fine with it and he's, he's like, like i don't this. care as long as it makes he, me money you know <laughs> exactly yeah he's he's like a dude who you 
would think would just be like, oh, what a fucking weirdo that is. But he's fine with it. Um, Kathy, oh, Patricia Arquette is also another person we got to talk about. Yes. She is adorably sweet and wonderful in this movie. And her reaction to when uh, tells her about his dressing in women's clothes is is another thing like like you said like she kind of thinks about it for a second and she she kind of clarifies from some things like so you do still like women but you just like to wear women's clothes okay that's all that's all she says she says yeah. okay i do like that the and movie... the smile the, i love the smile yeah. on his face too because he's yeah. like she's cool with it yay and like that's what you want for anybody that comes out with something like that exactly and i do like the mo- that the movie doesn't have her just come out and say okay but really gives her the space to think about it a little bit too because we when it does that we know that she is really considering it, all the everything and is still perfectly fine with it well i think it's because she's already like fallen in love with him oh, so she's absolutely. like kind of make sure it's like oh does does this mean like you don't want to be with me and right basically is what she's asking i think yeah i think that's right but when he says like no i i love i still love women and love having sex with women <laughs> and then she's like okay because i still love you and I, yeah. I accept you for who you are yeah and that's beautiful it's a beautiful Again. sequence and i love that they're doing that whole thing happens inside a house of horrors you know <laughs> it's like a spook house yeah it's oh the, the spook house and he's that i love that you know that childlike that sort of wide-eyed literally in some cases childlike glee that uh ed wood has mm-hmm. and they have a great connection before that too when they're just walking around the carnival and and he's talking about his his inspirations, you know, the things that oh, I used to love listening to the radio dramas, and she knows exactly what what he's talking about. So they, I love that they ended up together because they seemed way more perfect for each other than Ed and Dolores. Yeah, and they remained together for yeah. until he died, and she actually never remarried uh, after yeah. that. And Ed died quite young. Uh, he was what fifty four. He was like fifty, yeah, yeah, something like that. And in terms of keeping with this like in terms of making Glenn or Glinda it's it seems like so bold that he would actually make a movie basically about himself yes and star in it in that time period and star in it so Ed was really like a super brave guy to do that yeah as we see you know by reactions I mean Dolores's reaction probably represents the reaction of a pretty large section of the public right even today frankly but unfortunately yeah people are dicks yeah unfortunately yeah but um in the 50s just even more so you know one of the things one of the things i want to touch on too is on a couple of occasions bella calls ed and he Mm -hmm. goes over to his house one of them he learns about his drug use you know mm-hmm. pretty seriously he's passed out on the floor when he gets or is at least fallen on the floor when he gets there later he has a gun and he's going to kill himself because you know there's no more unemployment he doesn't know what to do he's gonna so ed actually takes him to a rehab center or he wants to do like a yeah. double suicide thing he wants to ed, kill I him think. too he wants to take ed with yeah. him and it's uh those scenes are and his house has been destroyed exactly and and it's it's so sad but then after the rehab even just him like uh i was watching it again like him checking himself into rehab was a really great scene just to hear somebody say that like i've been a drug addict for 20 years and i need help and i need help he says it with such like gravitas to it i god yeah 
That got me this time. And, you know, he he also sort of allows people to take pictures of him mm. while he's in the hospital. And I, I, in the back of my mind, I, I just think, is he doing that not for himself, but so Ed's picture might get a little bit of attention? Mm. Oh, possibly. Yeah, I don't think of that. And that's something I hadn't thought about until, like, just now. It's something to mull over because... The affection that Bella has for Ed is like palpable, oh, yeah. and it makes the last scenes that they have together so beautiful. I love where he's walking out of the street and he, and he just turns and he and he gives his monologue yeah. from <laughs> from, uh, from Bride of the Monster, where he talks about which starts out so sort of I have no home. I have only known the jungle. And then he goes, but I shall yeah. build a race of supermen. <laughs> and it's just this, <laughs> it goes in this ridiculous direction. But then, then. You think he's talking about himself at first. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He'll take over the world. And, and he turns yeah. and all these people applaud him. And it's just sort of this wonderful moment that he got to yeah, it's, experience, it's experience this applause of the people. One last time. Yeah. And they shoot that one last bit of footage of him. He says, all right, uh, you're in a hurry. And you want to go, he says, well, <laughs> how about I stop and I, and, I, and I smell a flower. And it's like, yeah, that's even better. You know, I love that this movie also deals with, it's sort of the opposite of Murnau. You know, Ed Wood is the opposite of Murnau. Well, incompetence as well as in uh, lots of other ways. But <laughs> Totally, yeah. But he's also a collaborator. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. His actors make a lot of suggestions in the movie, especially Bella. And he says, yeah, go with that. Or, you know, the whole pull the strings thing. Wait, yeah. <laughs> pull the strings. And he's just like, that was brilliant. You know, <laughs> even though it's bizarre, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so it's not, even though when he's shooting plan nine and he's sort of got the, the producers are, are, are from, are from the church. You know, the money people are from the, from a church yeah. They he, he convinces them to make a, a science fiction horror film in order to, uh, raise money for their 12 apostles so a, series a 12, apostles movie, yeah. <laughs> 12 movies about the apostles <laughs> which just sounds uh boy that's another great moment for the crew when um it's like keep sunday open because we're going to get baptized and he has a thing with bunny or he's like how do you get all of your friends to get baptized just so you can make a movie like that's just who ed was that's what he could do exactly <laughs> and, people. and i love that and there's sort of that you know you hear that as as sort of the it's like the writers commentating to themselves a little uh-huh. bit how did this guy do this how did this <laughs> you know how did he make this stuff happen <laughs> and I love that. I think it was because of the family that he created. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. You know, I, I just love that aspect. And at the Plan 9 premiere, where they walk into this packed theater, absolutely mm-hmm. packed theater, and they show kind of the faces of everybody who's in it. You know, they show Tor sort of seeing his name come on the screen yeah. and, and, and sort of this, this wonderful joy and even Vampira, who doesn't want to be in the movie because she's been fired from her show, so she's she's like, uh, how about how about I don't have any lines? How about I'm mute? Yeah, she's even enjoying she's herself. even enjoying yeah, herself, and you know, and it it's just supposed against the bride of the monster 
premiere where you know everyone yeah it's a great juxtaposition between they, those they rip their car apart while they're inside and it's just a disaster <laughs> and, and or and except Bella says now that was a premiere <laughs> <laughs> so you sort of sense the spirit you know of of Bella in that final sequence of the Plan Nine premiere too. Obviously, he's on the screen. You finally see his his last footage in the context of the movie. But this time, you hear it with the narration that Ed has added, and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he gets hit by a car, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is it. This is the one they'll remember me for. And yep. That... Hey, you know what? He was right. <laughs> exactly. Even got mentioned in the Seinfeld episode. Uh, yeah, because it talks about it being the worst movie ever made and and stuff. It's it's very it's it's a funny, uh, funny episode. There's also um, just a lot, of, like I said, a lot of great like in jokes mm-hmm. that I really liked, like the Sarah Jessica Parker line. There was also a comment about the movie actually being in black and white that I really loved. <laughs> oh, I don't, I didn't pick when, up on that with the guy who was um, when Juliet Landau, who I fucking love from Buffy. She plays Drusilla and that she plays Loretta King Okay. in this movie and she she's asking us which, which dress. Oh, that's right. She's, ask, she's, I'm she's asking Ed which, right. which say dress the dark to wear. Gray one. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, there's I, the guy that's colorblind and he said, I like the dark gray one. Yeah. Isn't that kind of that, <laughs> that that wrong? Totally is that the comment is, on and the I, movie being I, I, And I love that. I meant to write that one down because I, I, I thought the same thing and I yeah, it's, it's a funny little in-joke on it being black and white. Oh, Just so many great lines in this movie that... <laughs> that's kind of what we've been doing this whole episode, is just, like, saying lines back and forth to each other about I both know. of these movies. I know. But, God, that's why they're, they're such a joy to watch. No one gives two fucks for Bella. Yeah. <laughs> Which is sad, but yeah. it's a good line. <laughs> Everywhere I go, it's Karloff, Karloff, Karloff. No one gives two fucks for Bella. Sorry, I have to do that. <laughs> That imitation. I, you, okay. you're, you're hearing my bad impersonations this week quite a bit, and I apologize. I love it. I'll, I'll listen to it, it back and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. You think I'm going to take any of these out? No. Editing. Okay. Well, one of the things... Bunny has one of my favorite we'll go, things, too. Do it. And he's like, let's hear you call Boris Karloff a cocksucker. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> because, well, the double was um, Kathy's chiropractor. And that's true, uh, Dr. Yes. Tom. And, and he wears a cape over his face during the whole movie. And, wow, he's bald. It's like, yeah, I never noticed that before. <laughs> Put a wig on him. <laughs> it was just a joy to revisit this movie uh i had seen it a couple times but um not not all that often i think this might have been only my third maybe fourth viewing of it now it's like one of my favorite movies i think like this is gonna be a good like uplifting kind of cheerful movie even though there's some sad parts i think like i said there's a lot of inspiration to be gained from this from the character of edward and from all the other characters that just have so much they have a different kind of passion you know than Murnau does in Shadow of the Vampire they have a passion just to go out and make something no matter the outcome yeah and that's a good thing to take into anything that you do in your life exactly and you know and I think I think one of the things that my takeaway from this move this as a double feature was 
that both movies show that it takes maybe a certain level of madness yeah. or craziness <laughs> or maybe a, even a little bit of self-delusion <laughs> uh, to, to be a filmmaker. And I love that the movies both kind of revel in that, you mm -hmm. know? Because obviously these movies are made by filmmakers and who are, you know, Tim Burton's a little bit eccentric. Sure. <laughs> you know, I think marriage probably <laughs> is too. Uh, they, I think they're fully aware that they're making a little bit of commentary about themselves uh, as sure. filmmakers in these films. And it's... It's fun to see that. It's fun to see them maybe not take themselves too seriously while still making, in both cases, really terrific pieces of art. And I, this is, this, I mean, as much as I've loved a lot of the, as a double feature, this is this probably is the best double feature we've had so yes. far. Did you have anything else to say about Ed Wood that I missed? Or, no, or, I think or we either probably, God, I could just keep. We could just keep saying lines I, from the movie. I think that's our, our, our thing with these, uh, so many of these movies. It's just like, we're coming at these as movies we love, and we, we could just talk about them forever. Yeah. I can't think of an episode that we've done where it's like, I didn't... Well, that was a I good discussion, but we could keep going on longer and longer. Exactly. Exactly. Excuse me, sir. Yes? Um, well, I'm a young filmmaker and a real big fan. I... I just wanted to meet you. My pleasure. I'm Orson Welles. I'm uh, Edward D. Wood Jr. What you working on? Well, the financing just fell through for the third time on Don Quixote. Do you know I can't believe it? That sounds just exactly like my problems. It's the damn money, men. You never know who's a windbag and who's got the goods. And then they all think they're directors. Ain't that the truth? Do you know that I've even had producers recut my movies? I hate when that happens. And they're always trying to cast their buddies. It doesn't even matter if they're right for the part. Tell me about it. I'm supposed to do a thriller at Universal. But they want Charlton Heston to play a Mexican. Ah, <sighs> Mr. Wells. Is it all worth it? It is when it works. You know, the one film of mine where I had total control, Kane, the studio hated it, but they didn't get to touch a frame. Ed. Yes. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? Did we want to do uh, recommendations or what's up next week? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Our weekly recommendations. Um, what do you got for this week? You know, i doing this on the fly. Originally. That's cool. Originally, I was going to recommend the movie Possessor, which um, is pretty great. It's really good. It kind of, speaking of John Malkovich, it kind of gave me, everyone talks about a Cronenberg vibe. I, I kind of thought of being John Malkovich while I was watching that movie. I mean, much more, I I see it. much more serious, not a funny film, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something. I, I, I find it, it, it was, it was good. I'm, I'm glad I picked it up. But, you know, I think I'm going to go with this. I say... I'm going to recommend both versions of Nosferatu. So the 1922 yeah. Murnau version and also the 1979 uh, Herzog version. They are uh, different takes on that movie and really interesting and superbly crafted in both cases. And um, I think maybe both can give a little bit of insight uh, into Shadow of the Vampire and 
Yeah, they're they're terrific movies, and I, I like them both a lot. I haven't seen either one of them, so maybe I will take you up on your recommendation <laughs> eventually. I've got a long list of movies to watch. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> all right, so my recommendation is, again, I like to do a little bit weird stuff, and considering like where we are in the world now, this could either be a really good recommendation or a really bad one. <laughs> 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 it's a podcast it's called this podcast will kill you now it's a show it started at the end of 2017 i think october is around when they premiered of 2017 and i started listening um not too long after that so i've been listening for a while but it is um a podcast about infectious diseases <laughs> <laughs> Which I know is probably stuff that, you know, you don't really want to hear about right now. But it's so interesting. I think if you're into, like, that weird kind of shit like I am, people could really find a lot of, of fun with this. So it's it's hosted by two, I, I believe, I don't know their pedigree exactly. I'm sorry, I should have looked this up. I believe they're still, like, grad students or something. And they're going to become um, disease ecologists or um, epidemiologists. So um, it's two girls. Um, they're both named Aaron, which is cute. <laughs> Aaron Welsh and Aaron um, Almond Updike, and they really make the show a lot of a lot of fun because what they do is they they pick um, they they've got they've done a bunch of stuff. They like I said they've been going since 2017, so they've got a bunch of episodes. They've done stuff like you know any kind of infectious disease. They've done like rabies, syphilis. Um, typhoid the plague um interesting so it's it's all about they always start it's always cool, so cool how they start it they always start with like a a personal like anecdote like from the time often like people who wrote about like what was happening at the time and then they just kind of go through like what the disease does to your body and then the history of it and then how scared you should be of the disease now <laughs> which is fun but they but they really make it like super fun to listen to because they are they're freaking adorable for one thing and it's like it's that thing of like loving hearing somebody like nerding out over something that they love and that they're really interested in you know uh-huh. so they'll mention something like sciencey like so this virus it actually does this and isn't that so cool and the other one is like oh wow that's so interesting and you're just like you guys are cute i love this that sounds that's you know that sounds very interesting i i always interested in, in different kinds of yeah. of i i'm just kind of interested in all kinds of things you know yeah. there's nothing that i and it, it's it's like it's like history yeah. in a way too because mm-hmm. uh, they, they go through like like i said they talked about the plague and uh-huh. so there was like two-parter on that and just all the stuff guinea worm herpes i'm just looking through episode list now just if you're interested in learning about anything like this and this is what made me take the coronavirus so seriously is because I was already listening to this podcast. Yeah. So, and they have done a whole series, obviously, um, on the coronavirus. I haven't listened to any of them yet, but they've got several, at least a dozen episodes I'm, I'm seeing about that. But it is, if you're, again, like I said, if you're interested in like weird stuff like that, this is a really cool one to listen to. So it's called This Podcast Will Kill You, which is another great name. That is a great <laughs> title. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Okay, so so next week we, um, okay, so originally we kind of talked about doing this filmmaking thing as a block. We've decided yeah. we're, we're going to split it out. 
so we're going to we're going to save our movies about the making of a fake movie for another time. We've decided instead to do what? Uh we are calling this next episode's topic not really comic book movies, which I just thought of yeah. on the fly and it turned out to be like the perfect title because yours Okay, I don't know anything about yours. I haven't seen it, but mine is going to be um from 2017, a movie that is just very, very important to me now um, is Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. So you can kind of see how it's not really a comic book movie because that movie is about um, the man who created Wonder Woman and you know the women in his life who inspired it. And then yours is... My movie is American Splendor uh, from 2003. There's nothing quite like this movie. I've tried to describe it. I tried to describe it to Michelle... <laughs> Earlier, really <laughs> earlier, and I couldn't do it. But it's it's a really unique film, and I'm really excited for you to see it. Um, I'm and I'm excited to see Professor Marston because this is uh, this is I think the first case where I haven't seen the movie that you recommend. It is. Yeah. And yes. So it is. Welcome to the club, I guess. But you also haven't seen my Thank movie. You. So uh, we're we're actually introducing <sighs> we're introducing uh, something new to each other um, for this next time, and I'm really excited to dive into that because okay, so we we kind of joked earlier on. I mean. When I suggested we do Superman, <laughs> Michelle wasn't particularly excited about that prospect. <laughs> Luckily, she ended up enjoying it. But personally, I enjoy, you know, like some of the Batman movies and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm not really, I've never read comic, I never read comic books growing up or graphic novels. I've read a few, but not very many. It just wasn't something I picked up on. And so, and a lot of the movies I kind of I've seen a lot of them that, but they're not necessarily my favorites. Uh, nothing wrong with them. I enjoy many of them, but we wanted to do something a little different, you know, because when it came to comic book movies, <laughs> and I can't think of two that are these two are pretty off the beaten path. I mean, they're sort of tangentially yeah. comic book movies. And I just really wanted to talk about Professor Marston because it's become very important to me recently. <laughs> And it's not really, the, the main core of the story is not so much about the, the comic book aspect, even though that's a big part of it. Yeah, so we should probably... You'll see when you watch it. We should probably check up real quick on where people can find these movies. Oh, yes. Professor Marston is available on Hulu, if you have a Hulu subscription, and then it's pretty much available to rent anywhere else besides that. Yeah. And then American Splendor, uh, if you have HBO Max, you're in luck, because it's on there. It's uh, across all of the HBO stuff apparently ben you can rent it for a pretty low price actually amazon and youtube and all over the place so uh yep. pretty well available which is nice that's not always the case with the movies uh like today uh, unfortunately shadow of the vampire is pretty tough yeah. to track down um Hopefully that changes. Fingers crossed. Exactly. Maybe maybe we'll be influential in getting someone to put Shadow of the Empire up on Blu-ray. Just yeah, because keep your keep your hopes up for that. We have that we have that power. <laughs> I believe it. I'm going to be Ed Wood optimistic, and I yes, okay. I believe That's that right. we have the power to uh, get Shadow of the Vampire out on Blu-ray. We can do it. So, All right. So I guess that's it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, you can follow both of us and the show on Twitter 
You can find me at Michelle in Agen. You can find me at Brian D. Kuiper. And then the show is a Movie Life Pod. So please come by and uh, follow us there. Talk to us. Tell us how much you love these movies because we know that all of our friends love these movies. And I'm ready to talk about it some more even. I don't want to hang up. This is sad. <laughs> yes. Follow us there. Um, rate and review on iTunes and everything. That really helps us out. And again, thank you guys so much to everybody who has had kind words to say to us about the show. Like, means a lot. It really we does. really appreciate it. Yeah, it means so much. So thank you, everyone. And um, I always say we'll see you next time, but obviously <laughs> that's not the case. Um, it's a podcast. It's a they podcast, us, Brian. Brian. Sheesh. So anyway... Um, You'll hear us next time (laughs) (laughs) on on Movies for Life, and we hope you're enjoying the show, and we will see you next time. (laughs) Ah, you did it again. (laughs) All right. Thank you, guys. Bye.